Well, this is certainly a very interesting way that we are going to be conducting our church services, at least for the time being. Um, we're not able to meet because of all the issues going on with the coronavirus, and we're not allowed to have groups larger than 10 together, which means that um, we wouldn't be in a good position meeting together in our church building. And that's not really because of anything that our, our governor is telling us or or that anybody, any rules anybody are, are making. It's really an issue of the fact that we have a number of folks in our congregation that would be susceptible to this disease, not people in my age bracket or of my uh, health background, but others who suffer with respiratory uh, illnesses or who have a certain age that uh, we are understanding are susceptible to this. So uh, we're going to do it this way, virtual church. It's a, it's a new world. Um, and so if you're watching this live on Facebook, we welcome you. If you are uh, re- going to our Facebook page to watch the video, um, there's a link in, uh, in the description of the video that uh, will take you to a YouTube playlist um, of hymns. <laughs> there's only so much we can recreate when it comes to a church worship service. We love being together. That's what we're supposed to be doing is being together to worship together. It's an important part of our week. It's an essential part of who we are. But we can't do that right now for the safety of our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. What we can do is share in songs together, not physically together, but lifting our voices with our families or paying attention to the words of these songs that were written for us to connect with God. Song is an important part of who we are. We'll offer prayer together on our live virtual church. We will have an opportunity to set aside a moment to take our communion, and I hope that you're able to do that wherever you are. So let's begin with a prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the time that we have to be together. We're sad that we can't be with one another physically, but in spirit we are united, both as a congregation and as a church throughout this world. We're grateful for your wisdom in designing this body, and we're grateful for your protection. Be with those who are ill, be with those who are vulnerable, And be with all of us who are people of faith, that we may be a shining light to those around us as we worship together and as we're able to do so in formats and through mediums that are more accessible even than walking through the doors of a church building. This is an opportunity, Lord, for us to show the world that we are more than just a building and more than just a Sunday morning. We ask that you bless this time as we study your word. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. We're wrapping up a series right now in, uh, in our services, uh, focusing on the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, Paul talks about these, these things that are produced when we have a Spirit-filled life, when we have a Spirit-led life. They are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. We've talked about all those. And today we finish with the end of the list, with self-control. And boy, it's the hardest. And it's interesting that it comes at the end of the list, Inherent in the word self-control is the idea that we're responsible for it. So here we have this list of characteristics, things that are produced by the Spirit dwelling within us. They are identifying characteristics. The world knows who we are by how we live. And when the Spirit is in us, when we're led by, by the Spirit, 
uh, we produce these fruits, we produce these evidence, uh, evidences and these identifying characteristics. And yet, Paul ends this list by reminding us we still have a choice. It's within us. It's up to us to be who we are called to be. Self-control is something that we look at and struggle with, but I want to focus this morning on what a blessing it is. It's a blessing because God gave us the ability to choose each day how we'll live. He could have made us to be just, uh, have no free will and to, to simply follow his pattern without question, without desire for other things. But we look at the history in the Bible and we see that this choice rears its head. God created the Garden of Eden, this paradise for his creation to live, this beautiful world for us to dwell in. And in the garden, he said, all these things belong to humanity, belong to mankind, belong to this creation that I handmade. It's important to note that all of creation was spoken into existence. But when it came to man, when it came to Adam and to Eve, he made us by hand. We're special. We're important. We're greater than the, the rest of creation. And God gave within us the ability to choose because he shows them this tree with fruit on it, ironically, a fruit that would produce within mankind, should we partake of it, a knowledge, a recognition of good and evil. And he said, eat of anything, take anything. This world is for you, but not this. Now, that begs the question, why did he put the tree there? Why did he put this fruit before man? Why did he put this temptation before them? We'll get to that in a minute. But our free will is a blessing. God loved us enough to give us a choice in the matter. Look at the history of God's servants. Look at Moses. He was unable to enter the promised land to which he led God's people because of a choice he made. A choice to disobey God, to take glory for himself. You can read about it in the in the book of Exodus but he did not make it to the promised land. Now he his people were led God's people were led by someone else when they crossed over into that promised land. Look at David, a man who in his life was always chasing after God, a man who was admired and and loved by God, but one who had failings and shortcomings because of choices he made. All of us have in our life Choices we've made that we've lived with, consequences that have impacted us deeply for the rest of time, for the rest of our lives, because God gave us the ability to choose, and what a blessing that is. Oftentimes, we don't think of that as a blessing. We think of it as a burden, and it is also a burden. Self-control is a blessing, but self-control is a burden. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing that I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Paul talks of this conflict of two natures. He talks of this um, this self that wants to do the things that he's not supposed to do. And yet he wants to obey the law, but he finds it difficult because self-control is a burden. The call to choose right over wrong is a burden, and it's difficult, but it's a God-given one. 
And there again we find the blessing. It's easy to ask ourselves, we'll return to that question, why did God put that fruit in the garden for them to eat of if they were forbidden from it? Why put the temptation before us? And on a broader scale, God, why did you create me with these desires of the flesh? Why did you create me to be a being that desires things that you don't want me to have? God's law, God's will, God's uh, love calls me to be things that I don't naturally want to be. We naturally want to indulge our flesh, do things that feels good, do things that are desirable. Our eyes see things that we wish to have, and our bodies have urges for things that are not good for us. And when you read through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about, you know, if your if your hands cause you to sin, cut them off. Your eyes cause you to sin, gouge them out. Now, that's not meant to be something literal. It's meant to express the radical way in which we must follow God's will. But isn't our weakness something that God gave us? We spend a lot of time running from weaknesses, hiding it, keeping it secret. We don't want people to know how we fail, how we fall short so often. And yet God put them there. He hardwired me to want things I'm not supposed to have in the garden. Eve saw the fruit. It was desirable to her eyes. And so she ate of it because she was tempted by Satan to do so. So God, why? That's the question we ask. Why do you call me to one standard but have made me so incapable of living up to that standard? Well, it's to produce that very feeling, the helplessness, the the inability that we feel, the crying out of our soul. I, for one, believe that the Bible guides us in a process of thought to get us away from running from weakness. Stop hiding your weakness. Stop running from your shortcomings. Stop uh, concealing your failures, but rather embrace them. Now, I don't mean indulge them. I don't mean that we should go living in in sin. Paul even wrote that in Romans, shall we go on sinning that grace may uh, increase? By no means. No, we've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? That's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 6. We're not called to indulge in our sin, but we are called to embrace our weakness because we're called to confess our sins and our shortcoming. And the beautiful thing that our free will and that our call to self-control reveals is a need. Our souls, when we reach that moment of understanding that God is calling us to one thing, but our minds and our hearts desire something else, that is when we hit our knees in crying out through our souls to God for salvation, and he answers that call through Jesus Christ. If not for our weaknesses, we could not see God's grace, and if not for our shortcomings, those around us could not see God's glory. If I were so great so as to keep God's law perfectly, there's no need for Jesus in my life. And thus, there's no recognition of God's love and mercy in providing Christ to answer the question of my sin. Self-control is a burden because it's hard. But self-control is also a blessing. Free will is also a blessing because in my failure, I produce a need for Christ a need for God's mercy. And in living according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh, I am confessing and proclaiming the greatness of God. In Romans, further, in in Romans, or or backing up in Romans, rather, in chapter 5, 
Paul says that at just the right time, while we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were helpless. At just the right time, just when it was needed, Jesus came and freed us of our sin. Our weaknesses, the product of our lack of self-control, the shortcomings, the things hardwired into our desire, the things contrary to God's will, they are a burden, but it's not God being unfair. It's God giving us this little ticking time bomb that's going to go off one day and remind us, hey, you can't do this without Jesus. You can't do this without God's mercy and love. And in this life, when we live according to him, And when we finish this race as a life well lived, people will look and they won't see how great I was or how great you were. They'll see how great God was in rescuing us. Our weaknesses, the product of our lack of self-control, is a reminder that he is the strongest when we are at our weakest. This incompleteness, this imperfection that we have is made whole in Jesus Christ. I think self-control is a beautiful burden. Because we're called to be something that doesn't come natural. And God loved us enough not to force us into a relationship with him, but to choose it voluntarily. And to live in response to his mercy, not in a way to earn it because we can't. We're too weak. We're too uh, fallible. God made us that way so that we could understand and appreciate his glory. And so that the world around us could see his strength, his glory, and his mercy. I want to encourage you to embrace your weaknesses. I want to encourage you to embrace your shortcomings, not with joy or indulgence, but with a recognition that God gave you these shortcomings. He made you the way you are so that he could be glorified. Glorify him now in how you live. If you have a need to walk that path more closely, more faithfully, then there are Christians around you, churches, Uh, groups of people who share that faith who will help you and pray for you. We will here at the Monroe Church of Christ. And if you need to give your life to God through Jesus Christ in baptism, then we want to urge you to do that as well. If we can be of any assistance to you, please reach out. Reach out to us here in Monroe at this church and join us uh, as we try to live this life in response to the wonderful grace of God.